Good evening. Good evening. Um, it's so wonderful to be here. So thank you for having me. Thank you for inviting me down. Uh, so by way of introduction, I would love to share a little bit of my story with you all. Um, so my, my childhood was very different to what many would have called normal. Uh, my mum was Ghanaian and she moved from Ghana to Germany um, where she fell in love with this handsome young man. Uh, the only issue in that, in that get up was that he was already married. But that didn't seem to stop them. So my mum and my dad got together and my mum fell pregnant with me. Um, and realizing that this relationship that she was in was going nowhere, she decided that the best thing to do would be to move from Germany to London, where she had me. But then here she was in London, and she found herself in this country that wasn't familiar, with a language that she didn't know, with no friends or family, and no real form of stability. So she thought, I know, I will send my daughter back to Ghana and get myself sorted, and when I do, then I'll send for her. So before I was even a year old, my mum sent me to Ghana, where I lived in a type of foster care system. I moved from home to home and city to city, and that was pretty much my life until I was nine years old, and I moved back here to London. Um, and it didn't take me long to, to recognize that my mum had struggles of her own. I watched her from this young age, I, I watched her go in and out of violent and abusive relationships, often with married men. And yeah, that, that was an ideal. You know, I, I witnessed her trying to cope by drinking alcohol, and I thought, you know what? This is my family, and that's my mum, and she's trying, and I love her. But when I was 20 years old and just coming to the end of university, my mum was diagnosed with cancer. And a few years later, she passed away. And I remember the day that I took my phone and, and I scrolled down to her phone number. And I deleted her number because I knew that I would never receive a call from her again. And I remember thinking, God, God, why have you let this happen? God, I thought you were a good God. I thought you were a God of love. And from that moment began my journey of understanding who God was. Who is Jesus? How can I understand who he says he is and some of the things that he has said? So, so this evening, I want to talk to you about some of the things that Jesus said. I want to talk to you about how we can be disciples of Jesus because of the things that he has said. So our passage is from Matthew chapter 5, verse 38 to 42, and it reads, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. 
Matthew chapter 5, along with chapter 6 and 7, are what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And it is the longest bulk of teaching ever recorded for Jesus, by Jesus, in the New Testament. And the Sermon on the Mount is primarily all about our relationships with one another because of God's love for us and our love for Him. And In this sermon, Jesus takes a moment to speak directly to his disciples. He's giving them examples of challenges that they may encounter on any given day. And as he gives these examples, he is automatically calling them to a higher standard of being. And I guess as we look at these verses... I want for us to come to a place of understanding that God is calling us in here, his disciples, to that higher standard also. Matthew 5, 38 to 42 encourages us. It challenges us to do the things that are not easy to do. It challenges us to do the things that don't necessarily come naturally to us or to the culture of this world. And we know this because Jesus often would start talking by saying, you have heard it said, but I say unto you. See, Jesus presents to us another way of being. He lets us know immediately that we are called to be different from the norm. So firstly, as disciples of Jesus, we are called to resist revenge. In verse 38, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. When we are angry, we feel justified in that anger. I mean, I can play every scenario of all the things that I want to do and I should do and that person deserves because I'm in my anger. And a few years ago, I was out walking my dog. We were walking our normal route that I walk every day. My dog was just leading the way. And then out of nowhere, all of a sudden on this day, a cat jumps out out of nowhere right onto my dog's head. And he's like, he's just this friendly giant. So he's just as shocked as I am. And I'm there trying to shoo this cat off his head, just shooing him away. The cat jumps off, jumps onto the back of my leg, and bites me. The cat drew blood through my jeans. So I see his owners now come out of nowhere from behind a bush, and and I will never forget this cat's name. I heard them calling him Leon. I thought, Leon? Leon? And I went up to him, I said, you know what, look what your cat's done. I'm not having this. And I expected them to be more apologetic, but instead they were just shooing me away. They were like, oh, it's fine, it's fine, just go away. I was consumed in my rage. You know, for a good few weeks, I pretty much was planning how I could get my own back on Leon, you know? And even to this day, I still think about it. So when we are wronged, our thoughts are focused on how we can get even. And we want that person, or in my case, that cat, to to receive what they deserve. And sometimes we use scriptures like this, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But this is not how the law was intended to be understood. It was not intended to be used in this way. 
This is a Hebrew law, and, and it's known as the law of retaliation, or in Latin is known as lex talionis. This law was not to encourage revenge, but to limit the extent of punishment that was given by the court system. It was never intended for personal use. So regardless of how, how mad I was at Leon, according to this law, it was not my place to apply a judicial understanding of punishment to my personal offense. The law of retaliation did not encourage an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth as the standard for punishment, but rather the limit of punishment. This was a compassionate law. It didn't demand that this is what you should do, but rather instead it marked the point that you should not go past. So when Jesus says, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, he is saying that the law tells us clearly to what level you can demand revenge, but I am calling you to a higher level. I am calling you to not seek any revenge. Jesus calls his disciples to be different. He calls you to be set apart and to live by this new standard. So instead of retaliating to evil in the way that the world does, Jesus says, but I tell you, do not resist the evil person. And this line, do not resist the evil person, my gosh, is definitely one of those lines that I've read and just skimmed over and thought, I'm not, I'm not even going to go there. I'm not even going to think about this one. Because if I can be honest with you, I struggled with it. I thought it meant that as a Christian, we had to be a doormat. You know, we just had to let people walk all over us. And as they did, we just had to have a smile on our face. But I was wrong. And in this particular verse, the word resist is translated to mean to fight or attack. So a good way of understanding this quote is do not fight or do not attack the evil person. And with that, there is a subtle and yet powerful shift because of the language and it gives it a whole different tone. Jesus resisted evil people all the time, but he was not a pushover. He challenged injustices of his day. And I don't believe that these verses are telling us that we have to be opposite to Jesus, but instead that we are his disciples. We are not called to be passive and to just stand there, no. I believe that Jesus is calling us to be active. And that is what it looks like to be God-led in this culture. The thing is, if we respond in the same way that the rest of the world responds, with hostility and aggression towards those who do evil, then we end up letting the world dictate our behavior instead of God. But we are called to influence culture and not the other way around. That is how we show the world who God is. That is how we show the world that God is good that he is merciful, that he is forgiving, and yet in all that mercy and all that forgiveness, he is still powerful. And secondly, as disciples of Jesus, we are called to challenge injustice differently. In verse 39, Jesus continues with, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. 
So as I mentioned before, I grew up in Ghana, and Ghana is a right-handed society, which means that you just don't do anything with your left hand. You don't shake anyone's hand with your left hand. You don't offer food and drink. You just don't do it. It's seen as like the dirty hand. And it turns out that Jesus also lived in a right-handed society. So if you're about to slap someone with your right hand, it's, did you notice that in this passage it says, if someone slaps you on your right cheek, that means immediately they are slapping you with the back of their hand. Now, to slap someone on the back of their hand, it is not an injury. It was deemed an insult. And that's how you would reprimand someone who was a slave. So it was normal between parents and children, Romans and Jew, master and servant. It was a way of saying, you need to know your place. But if it was ever two equals fighting, the palm of the hand would be used. So imagine this. A servant has been slapped. The sheer fact that they have turned the other cheek means they are inviting an interaction that implies that they are equal to the one that is attacking them. Turning the other cheek was not passive. Turning the other cheek was a social revolution that dared to say, I am not less than you. And if and at the, on top of com being completely outrageous and assuming that you can be equal with your master, you were saying, I have dignity in this space. We live in a world where because of social media, we see so much injustice. And more often than not, the common reaction is to be offended on behalf of everybody and then to insult those whom we think should be doing something about it. But Jesus calls us to not simply be offended by the injustice and then throw insults, but rather to challenge the injustice differently. Jesus calls us to turn the other cheek. Turning the other cheek is defiance. It is not compliance. To turn the other cheek is not a convenient excuse to be inactive or to be passive, accepting whatever injustice that you see or whatever unfair treatment that you receive. No. To turn the other cheek is to stand against evil. Now, I don't know what everyone in here is going through. I don't know what injustices you face or what you have witnessed at work or at school, at uni, or even in your own home. But I wonder what it looks like for you to turn the other cheek. I wonder what it looks like for you to stand up for equality and dignity. I wonder what it looks like for each one of us to be able to challenge injustice differently. And lastly, to be a disciple of Jesus means that we are called to consider the needs of others. In verse 40, Jesus says, And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand your coat over as well. Here Jesus is referring to, a, to the protection law seen in the book of Exodus and Deuteronomy, the protection of property. And according to this law, and remember these laws are compassionate and kind, if you were to sue a person and win, you could only take their shirt and not their coat. And that's because in those days, 
A person's coat would double up as their blanket at night. This was a matter of welfare and, and surviving the cold nights. This law was all about showing consideration and concern for the other, even in matters of justice. But with that said, Jesus takes it one step further. He says, if you are sued for your shirt, do more than the limits that are set by law. Love is the limit. If you are able and if you are in a position where you can, if you can, then do more. Consider the needs of others above your own. The boundary of our acts of kindness is not love. It is love. Love is deliberate. It is active and it is intentional and by choice. And maybe you're thinking, but Jemima, I don't, have, I don't have a spare coat to give. You know, I don't have anything extra right now. And after all, who's going to give me their spare coat? Who's going to look after me and provide for me and my welfare? I hear you. But Romans 12.10 tells us clearly, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourself. In Philippians 2.33, it says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. And then in Philippians 4.19, Paul tells us this, that God, God himself, will meet all our needs according to the riches of Christ Jesus. Sometimes it is right, it is right to put others before ourselves because we believe and trust that God will meet all of our needs. Jesus says in Matthew 5, verse 42, give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. We are commanded by Jesus to give generously. If we have the physical ability to give, whether it be time, money, food, clothes, resources, then we have the Christian responsibility to do it. So if we have the physical ability, then we have the Christian responsibility. And I don't know about you, but it is so easy for me to excuse myself out of that responsibility. I am not gifted in cooking. I do not cook well. And so I don't invite people over to my flat. And I say, oh, well, you know, we'll just go out to eat. And you may be thinking, I'm a student. I don't have that much money to tithe. Or I'm a parent. I really just don't have that much free time to, to offer on children's ministry. But the thing is that God has called each and every one of us. He has gifted us with time and resources, with unique, unique abilities and skills. And all those things are to be used for the common good. They are to be used in order to consider the needs of others. Now, you're probably thinking, this all sounds really nice. This sounds very pleasant, but very unrealistic. And you're probably thinking, there's all this evil in the world. There is war and famine. There's poverty, discrimination, climate change. And on top of all that, culture is just moving too fast and in a direction that you just don't understand. Yes, you are absolutely right. And it would be naive of me to pretend otherwise. But what I do know, better yet, who I know is Jesus. And I am confident that when we trust in him, 
and everything that he says, I believe that he is the invisible, the image of the invisible God. I believe that his ways are far beyond us, that his thoughts are far higher than our thoughts. And when we believe and trust in him and all that he has to say, that he gives us the tools we need to survive in this world. So Jesus tells us, in order to be his disciples, we need to be able to resist revenge, to challenge injustice differently, and to consider the needs of others above our own. So shall we pray? Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you are a good God. Lord God, that you are the example of what it means to love that because of your great love for us, that you died for us so that we may have life. Lord, I ask that you will remind us again of your goodness. Lord, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that we will be able to go out, that we will be able to show the world your goodness, the truth of who you are. Lord, that we can be bold in knowing that by turning the other cheek, by resisting revenge, by loving one another, is because you have shown the same to us, Lord, that you have been gracious in all your ways. And so we ask that you would pour your spirit in us so that we can do the same. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.